You're listening to Accounted For, the Canadian podcast that explores the intangibles of every career. I'm your host, Daniel Lee. Hello, hello. Welcome back to Accounted For, the podcast that shares and inspires unconventional career journeys. Please help the podcast grow by telling your friends about it, sharing episodes that you think will benefit people in your life, rating it with five stars or leaving a review on how it may have helped you in your own journey on iTunes and whatever listening app that you use. Today's conversation is a conversation with a return guest, Mark Champagne. Mark is the co-founder of Keo and host of Behind the Human podcast. In episode 46, we talked about Mark's journey of building Keo after a career in pharmaceuticals. In today's episode, we talk we talk through the developments since the year, because we I think the episode forty six came out June twenty nineteen, but we reco- we recorded it a little earlier than that, so we're close to about a year mark. We also talk about the process and reason behind shutting down Keo, the digital journaling app that had eighty six million impressions and a community of about two hundred thousand users. We talk about the difference between app rankings and user metrics versus the actual economic reality of operating it. Spoiler alert, it's not what I assumed it would be. I thought his metrics would be good enough to build, to have, I guess, a sustainable cash flow business. But it turns out it's a very expensive process to run an app. We talk about the difference between... We also talk about the uh, Mark's journey of building communities and how the podcast led to so much more than a personal brand. His new pursuit of consulting human-centric, com- human-centric companies on brand strategy and also his new venture of writing a book on mental fitness. Traditional media only touts the stories of exits for obscene financial numbers. But in our conversation today, we talk about the daily process of building something, the constant ups and downs, and the many iterations we will make in our journey to build something that is meaningful and fulfilling. I share my piece of the journey, the struggles I've had. I learned a ton from what Mark has gone through, and it's been an awesome conversation to have and something that has definitely aided myself in going on my own journey as well. So without further ado, here is my fun conversation with Mark. Hey everyone, welcome back to Accounted For. Today we have a bit of a special kind of episode, something I'm trying out, and it's a catch-up episode with the return guest, Mark Champagne. Hey Mark, thanks for coming back on the podcast, my friend. Thank you, sir. Returning guest, that's exciting. Appreciate the opportunity. No, no problem. Mark here, if you haven't listened to his story before, I recommend you first-time listeners to listen to his story at episode 46, which launched, I think it was June of 2019. So it's been nearly about a year, Mark, since we've chatted. And Wow. Yeah, like, I remember the first time we talked, we talked about your journey of building Kill, the journaling app, as well as the wellness company itself. And I'm really excited to dig a little deeper into what's happened in the last year. So how should <laughs> you start lot. this, man? Yeah, like, so let's see, like, what's been the development of Kyo? Like, um, I think, a, where should we start? I think one thing that I that really caught my eye was that you rebranded the podcast. You had a podcast for Kyo itself, and now it's called 
the being being the human podcast. So tell me about that. Let's start. Let's start there. Yeah, it's uh, it's so it's behind the human. Behind um, the human. Sorry. And I mean, to there's a lot of context before just even to get into that. So I'll give a bit of an update. Yeah. In June of last year, then it would have been close to the time where we actually made the decision to pull Keo off the market. Um, Keo was a just for everyone listening that hasn't listened to the first episode, it was a, a digital journaling app that we were talking about. And I remember you and I jammed quite a bit on just mental fitness practices and journaling being a big one. Um, and, you know, the the very short version of it, we reached about 86 million people in under two years with that app through app feature Apple features um, and then a ton of content collaborations and whatnot. But the the next step was to hit delete from App Store because it just wasn't financially viable at that time. So in October of 2019, actually uh, hit that delete button. Um, primarily, you know, I, I've reflected a lot about it. And I've talked about it a couple times on a couple of shows and um, most recently the first time in front of an actual audience, which was at... Um, fuck up nights Toronto um, and you know the, the key lessons from that journey was just that you know we had a lot of hype and a lot of excitement and, and PR and like I said all of these different uh, media impressions and things like that but that didn't didn't mean that the actual app was a business and that's a tough one I think a lot of people fall into those traps where it was exciting. We were collaborating with big brands like you know LinkedIn and Google and VaynerMedia and stuff like that. And um, those people were coming on the show and providing journaling questions or prompts and stuff like that. But it didn't mean that our app flows were dialed into a point where we were converting. Um, we had a lot of development challenges uh, in terms of not having internal development. So that was always a bit of a struggle. So at the end of the day, I mean, we had a really strong marketing plan. Uh, we had a lot of great partners that were helping us out, but we struggled to to keep up with actually keeping or building the product to where we wanted it to be from a quality standpoint and, you know, reach the conclusion that financially we just, we couldn't keep going down that path or it was going to take, you know, we didn't want to be naive, naive to the fact that it was going to take at least another 12 months of even coming close to maybe breaking even. And that was just a guess on um, whether that would happen or not. So it was, it was tough because when the decision was made, it would have been probably not too much longer after we, we talked actually, because mm -hmm. it was obviously it was, it was pretty fresh or I wouldn't have been talking about where we were at or it would have been a different narrative, but you know, the, um, we had just finished some really awesome user research. So it was one of the first times that we talked to users properly and it wasn't just like solving originally my kind of scratch your own itch scenario, which, which is how the product came up in the first place. And, you know, just our team going through what we were looking for in a, in a digital, digital journaling app, sorry. Um, so we, we had a pretty clear roadmap on where to go, but there was still a, many iterations uh, on the product that we knew would have to take place before it would be somewhat predictable in terms of conversions. 
So yeah, so that's, you know, I know it's a bit of a long-winded answer. Why'd you reband the podcast? Well, because Keo Conversations as a, as a podcast didn't really make sense anymore. Um, but there's still a lot of people following the show and, and the idea of, you know, unpacking mental fitness practices and also the reflective questions shaping the lives of all these uh, awesome people is still something personally that I'm passionate about and, and want to keep going. So that's why it's still up on the market. Um, but Keo Conversations, yeah, um, has been retired. Wow. And I think that's, you know, I couldn't have asked for a better, I think, overview of what's been the development of Keo. And so that that's crazy, though. Like you've, um, correct me if I'm wrong, I heard 86 million people were reached with the app itself. Yeah. I mean, those Holy. are eyeballs or media impressions. So, you, I mean, you can think of that as like when you're in the airport walking past the, you know, the bookstore and, and you know, counting every every person that looks at the magazine rack or something. This is just, you know, Apple's app store. But it's it's still, you know, just a, I want to be humble about it. But at the same time, like most people don't even have a thousand downloads on an app, you know. So for us, we were super grateful to have literally, I think the ones that we could count, there were about 150 or so individual country features. Uh, through Apple of like whether it was app of the day or new apps we love or start, we, we would hit these lists, um, start a digital journal, all that kind of, um, you know, PR. So we were super grateful for that because we weren't paying for any of that. We just we had some pretty big names and like think we had good content. And definitely at that time, too, we were very design focused uh, and the app felt very, I think, Apple ish in terms of like a look and feel and usability. So I think all of those, like there's no, there's no magic answer to how to get an app feature in the store. It's, uh, I wish we knew that, but I think a lot of those factors contributed to those features. Mm -hmm. And it, it just astound, astounds me like how, you know, you've had all these great exposures and it, it is a crowded market in itself too, right? There's a lot of different journaling apps. Like I, I have a number of friends who are telling me about how they, all, all my software engineering friends who are like asking me, okay, so Dan, you journal. I, I think I'll build my own journaling app and put it out there. And it's something that as the mental wellness, um, I guess, movement and the industry kind of picks up and pace that a lot of people are so creating products which i think is a good thing into the market but at the same time it gets really it's really difficult to get noticed and keo has been getting noticed like you said but it just seems like there's a bit of a disconnect between what people on the outside probably assume and the kind of business economics of it all from like what you tell me where from the outside people might think oh wow like this it's getting a lot of pr it's getting a lot of, lot of attention it must be some super successful company they must be like raking in a ton of money because yeah. obviously <laughs> that yeah, definitely not. They're, the case. they're getting noticed, <laughs> but um, it seems like there is a disconnect there. Like, could you share a little more about that? Like, what what are like the realities, like yeah. the economics of what it's actually like like to run an app for it to like, be profitable? Yeah, I mean that's a great question, and it, it's like anything in life. I mean, I think you need a balance of of things. Like, we the the flip side of it could have been we had this like knockout, uh, really well researched or user research generated product that you know we were running like design sprints with awesome agencies and things like that so that we were really testing every single feature 
of the app and understanding, you know, where people were going, where they're dropping, like that could have been one approach, but then have no, uh, no one know about it. Uh, so no marketing or no brand strategy, um, which would have been, a, a, which I think a lot of apps fall, like that's another way of failing. Um, so, so it, it, to me, it always has to be some sort of balance, right? We were, our scale was tipped towards more of the, obviously the reach and the collaborations and, and, the, and the brand strategy that was working really well. And I have no doubt that we would have got there from a product standpoint if we had unlimited cash flow. But the, the thing is, like people don't realize, and, and I personally fall into this as well, like we're used to free things when it comes to apps, right? Um, like just to give perspective, at, at the end, we had about 200,000 people um, uh, in terms of a community that had actually downloaded it and were using it. So, you know, not a crazy amount, but significant, obviously. I mean, just just the Amazon server costs of that, it's like thousands and thousands of dollars per month. Oh, wow. So, you know, it's not it's not cheap to house data like that. And when you start thinking of, you know, people would be like, oh, can I, I, I'd like, I want to include more photos or I'd really like to include videos in my journal entries. And I get that, but there's, there's costs associated to that. Even, you know, even when we made the decision to shut the app down, we had a really tough, we had a second really tough decision because we, we weren't at the, at the point in the roadmap where we had an export feature. So as, you know, like we'd like to say like good humans, we figured, well, We've got all these people using it. People have been, some people have been using the app for almost two years. And, you know, you're not talking about just, you know, including your, I don't know, your favorite wines or your, like your wine list. Like there's some serious, like personal thoughts and memories. I like people, I remember people writing in me and like they documented the, like the birth of their first child um using the app i mean so heavy things right and here we are we're about to hit the you know shut the app down without any export feature and essentially all data gone um so we didn't do that we took a we took a month i think over a month and again uh, out of our own pocket hacked something together um most of the development team was off or, or not part of the team anymore so we were really a skeleton staff the, I mean, the export feature was not a pretty scene, um, but at least for people, it allowed them to get their their data out so they could they could have it. But like, it's just I'm just sharing that because from the out odd or the outside, and we received comments like this. It was like, oh, you're just trying to cash out, and I'm like, cash out. Like we're still recovering financially from this, right? Like it's it's all it's all perspective, and I think. And one of the reasons why I'm, I'm really trying to share this story, not only from a mental fitness standpoint and what I had to go through to even get through deleting this and some of the, you know, going through my own journey and how these practices helped me, but then the flip side of like what it really takes to um, build something from scratch, you know, it's, it's hard. And there's a reason why 90 plus percent of new businesses and ideas are, are failing. Right. And I, I hate the word failing. Cause I mean, I don't see this. It, it succeeded in so many different ways. It failed financially. Um, 
but there are so many great things that came out of this, but no one, you know, no one talks about these stories. You, you only hear of, you would have heard when we, you know, closed a big round of funding or you would have heard if we partnered with like Calm or Headspace or something like that, but you don't typically hear about, um, yeah, we got to shut it down and here's why. No, yeah, 100%. And, and, you know, like I can't express enough how grateful I am that you are sharing that your story on here with myself and my audience also, because for me, it's obviously very selfish because as someone who's going through the journey, yeah, like I want to hear more of these stories because that's, it's kind of more like the reality, right? Like we, you've said the numbers where it's, you know, 90% of things sometimes end up having to get shut down. And I've had to shut down tons of projects. Some of them are still running, but some of them end up, I end up killing them off earlier. And there are different magnitudes of everything. And like, like you said, like when you built Keo, it wasn't, you know, I know of some other founders who I'm not going to name names, but who are kind of, quote unquote mercenaries and their tactics like there are some founders i know who just wanted to make a huge exit right after series a funding and this yeah. particular founder is just floundering and she's like well we were not supposed to live for three years after series a like we we shouldn't be going for series b i wanted to exit right after series a but i can't now and so this company is just slowly just churning through investor money until they just don't exist anymore but there's some people who just do this just to try to get some quick buck or trying to make a lot of money. But like you said, when you started Keo, you had a purposeful mission behind it. And I'm just curious on what you said about like the process. Like it, when you first described it, you said, yeah, like it wasn't financially viable, so you had to delete it. But there's got to be this long, mental, just difficult journey of wrapping your head around that to like the idea of, do I have to shut it down? Like, can't I just push it on a little more? Isn't there a way? Can you like walk me through that part of the journey? Like when, yeah. how that process actually worked out for you? Well, and this is where, this is where I feel super grateful in the sense that, you know, the, essentially the very practice or the very idea, which was digital journaling that sent my world into a tailspin was the very thing that actually pulled me out of that tailspin. So it was actually journaling after or or through the decision, I, sh I should say, to actually get to a point of clarity on what made the most sense based on everything that we knew at that time. And then and also, you know, answering really tough questions for myself, like, do do I want to continue financially and mentally? Like at that point, we, you know, it, it was close to it was over three years there. It, it was already from a from a standpoint of like just commenting on on your what you mentioned about like do we just keep pushing forward i mean we we had already been just been pushing forward like we were operating probably i would say you know from the time the decision was made to shut it down to uh when this started it was probably a good 6 12 months of operating in survival mode and doing really everything possible month by month to make sure that our internal team uh, was paid, which meant that, you know, myself and, and my co-founder often were not um, in, in any capacity. And, you know, and those funds weren't even coming from Keo. They were coming from another company that um, my co-founder was running that was kind of helping fund this. So, you know, we're milking a, a, another company dry and, and still not seeing the, the 
the the longer term path here, right? So there, there's so many factors, and I think you know every story, every situation is different, obviously. But I think it starts with going into an idea or what you want to do with with a clear vision, right? Like it, it was never to sure we sure we wanted to be financially successful in the sense of the more the money that we could bring in, you know, the more products we could release. And we were, we weren't just trying to build an app. We were trying to build a mental fitness ecosystem and company. And that was product one of, of the whole vision. Um, so from the beginning, it was, it was clear in that sense, but I think where, where people get lost is just, if you're, if you're going into it purely for a, a cash thing, um, that's, that's a risky move. Like even right now, I mean, I'm writing, I'm, I'm in the process of writing a book about um, modern day reflection or journaling and, you know, probably be, not probably, it'll be a, from the lens of a lot of the podcast guests that have been on the show and just, again, showing how this stuff is accessible to, to everyone. And it's not stereotypically the type of people that are doing these things, but I'm not going into that trying to say, Hey, I'm putting it out there. It's going to be a New York Times bestselling book. It's I'm going to be this like millionaire author because that's again that's great if something like that happens. But what I'm truly excited about and what Keo taught me as well is that fact that I just ordered two books on Amazon and tonight I'm going to crush through them to figure out like the way to structure the book or the the way others are writing certain paragraphs and how to put together your summary. Um, as I'm talking to you, I'm looking at actually three books right now from publishers that are from past podcast guests. They're like the flimsy pre-release um, press copies. So, you know, Chip Conley, Jake Knapp, there's Alex Benayan, like these are all best-selling authors. So because of the Keo journey and the podcast and all that, like I'll, I can reach out to those people. So like that's where the magic is, right? And those are the things that are not as tangible or, or that people see from from the very beginning that oh just because the app shut down like these relationships are there and they're formed because of that journey and i'm looking at writing the book in the same way like I'm, i get to learn how to do that i've never written a book um and it's it's exciting it's scary all at the same time but i think going into a, a, a an ex, um, adventure like that whether it's a book or a company or an idea with the mindset of not having all these expectations um, just sets you up for your own internal success. Mm -hmm. And like, I, I can honestly just, I, I feel like I can hear the kind of excitement in your voice, even just as we're like talking at this kind of new, I guess, new direction you're taking. And that makes me want to ask you, so what is, it's it's like you know Keo continues the mission behind it continues it's just that yeah. you know the app was just one iteration and you're just iterating over into something different and I'm curious on what what is that like what how did you kind of navigate this evolution process for you yeah well I'm still in it to be honest I mean I talked a little bit about that in this um, in this talk uh, for for fuck up nights and someone asked something like that like how did how did you, how did you manage the emotional stress of like getting through this whole decision process but then like figuring out what to do next and my answer was well how do i look right now because i'm i mean i'm still very much in the thick of it i mean i'm talking about the book as 
as this uh, super exciting thing, which it is, but it's an element. Um, and the way I, I'm viewing the, the current path is that there are three kind of big buckets that I'm working on in 2020, one being the book, which is a complete wild card. We'll see where it goes um, in terms of like any type of financial success. Um, <clears throat> but it could lead to other things down the road in, in more of a long-term plan, like speaking, things like that. There's the podcast, which also doesn't really pay any money, but it's the ultimate best business development and networking and selfishly learning, as you know, from uh, all your guests. And it's like, someone asked me the other day about, you know, okay, if you're a brand, like, what do you get out of a podcast? And, you know, my answer was, well, there's the typical things that obviously you have content, you can chop it up. You can go Gary V style and just like blast it out on social channels. But the, the thing that a lot of people don't talk about is the other aspect of a podcast is like when someone introduces you to another person and says, hey, you two guys should go or girls should go have a coffee. Uh, I feel like you'd hit it off. And then you meet with that person. And you're like, oh, it was a really great conversation. And then four months down the road, then it's like, man, I'm so glad I went and had that conversation. That's to me, the real magic of mm. what a podcast can do. And yeah, but you have to be patient for that. And you have to be okay with not seeing all these immediate benefits. So, you know, that's bucket number two for me that is, I'll keep that going as long as I can. Um, and the, the show, I mean, the show's fully booked for the next three months. So that's good. Um, but then the, the one that, you know, I, where I'm working to pay the bills and it's not there yet, like there's still a lot of transition from Keo is actually, I'm actually helping or working with brands either from a full brand strategy perspective, because that's actually my, my past work, um, before starting Keo, I used to do that in the healthcare space. And then in terms of what worked with Keo really well was actually having a really solid integrated brand strategy. So I'm doing some freelance work with um, human-centered brands. So again, like everything for me revolves around a very similar mission to what Keo was in terms of helping people uh, unlock their minds and helping people, whether it's social good or not, not for profits, things like that. So yeah, so the big bucket that is very unknown right now is, is how will this um, strategy work? shape out i mean there's there's some really fun work that our clients i'm working with that seem promising but who knows how long that'll last uh i'm toying with the idea and it seems to be getting quite a bit of interest but just the concept of going even gra more granular on on brand strategy and and helping brands that want to launch a podcast and but to do it in a um vision oriented from a vision oriented state of mind so don't just you know don't just launch the podcast to interview people but launch it in a way that it helps fuel your whole ecosystem as a brand and how can your how can your all the different elements of your brand also fuel into the podcast for example because again that's some that's that's how our strategy worked really well like the podcast lived in the journaling app and when you tapped on the questions that the guests were leaving me in the podcast, it fired up a new journal entry. So that's what I mean. Like there's ways to integrate that in, right? Or if you're a brand that's trying to bring on corporate clients for some reason, um, it's a hell of a lot easier to approach um, big brands to interview them for a podcast than to go in and say, hey, we want to bring our whole service offering to your company. You can warm them up a little bit more and have a real 
uh, authentic conversation about a topic that makes sense for both of you. And then, then you're already networked in, for example. So there's like a lot of different ways that I think podcasts are just really starting to scratch the surface um, that don't include your typical advertising sponsor model. I really think that's a thing of the past. And it's really only for like the Joe Rogans or Tim Ferriss's of the world. It's the top, you know, 1%. Um, for everyone else, it's, I think a podcast is really a tool to drive people to other places. And like I said, a, a good networking um, function as well. Mm-hmm. No, like I, that's, it's super exciting to hear that kind of development. It's like you've, it, it is the evolution where you, you're constantly using the pieces that worked and constantly iterating and trying to test out new hypotheses. And it's super exciting to hear that too, because that's also been the development of my own platform as well, as I'm trying to combat the the problem of cash flow as well and trying to figure out, okay, how can I make this work? How can I generate financial income to make this continue to something that can persist on doing? Um, yeah. And yeah, it's a real thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and... I like I back in 2019 of Q1 I I thought I toyed with the idea of you know trying to live off of this platform of mine and that just went completely against the joy of of it all like it became extremely miserable I started hating it hating what I was doing and it I had to look through my journals and remember and read and reiterate to myself that this is supposed to be a 10 year journey and so then that kind of changed the mindset for 2019 and how I built this out constantly while I've pursued other projects. But as a podcast and as a platform itself has grown, Q1 of 2020 has brought upon these kind of different projects that I'm now focusing on. One actually being um, something similar to what you talked about, where it's actually starting a podcasting agency. And that kind of came about because while I was building the podcast, I'd get other people asking me like I'd had like an investment fund ask me to start a, set up a podcast for them I've had other entrepreneurs ask me about setting up podcasts and and yeah. you know like you you and I know the actual process of just setting one up it's, it's just a lot of administrative work <laughs> and I didn't want to do any of that so I just wrote up an instruction manual and sent it over to people and said hey here, here you go just follow this and you can do it it's really easy like I took all this information for free so I'm just going to give it back out there and yeah. but it got me thinking about well, I love having conversations and it's, it is a privilege to get to do this, this kind of stuff, but it's also something that I feel that if you don't enjoy having conversations, then it's hard to do. And that made me think about actually helping other organizations start something similar to what I've started with Accounted For, where we have more interview-based, long-form conversations where it's not, like there are types of content out there that's very short-form, you know, two-minute bites, five-minute bites, but what I love are these long-form conversations where we actually get to dig deeper into things, get a holistic picture, and trying to change people's mindset around this content having to be this big attention grabber, but something that's more of something where you sit down, it's you're, you're like grabbing a coffee of someone and actually trying to engage with the person. And so that's yeah. been one thing I've been focusing on and trying to, I'm still in the idea testing phase where I've been talking to some tech firms, professional service firms and more now I'm gearing up to talk to some larger companies on testing that idea but I'm also exploring the sponsorship model as well like what you talked about with the the old the old way with podcasts it's got me thinking though about how how could someone small like me who actually has a very niche and specific audience not really compete with Joe Rogan or Tim Ferriss but create a different way of 
getting sponsorship and that's just been something I've been toying with and I've been I've had a couple pitches uh, in the past few weeks and it's something I'm exploring but I'd be curious with you um, with you on how like you said you had collaborations with Kia when it was a journaling app I'm curious on that side like when you first started collaborating like how did how did it go like did you approach it as if you wanted them to sponsor you or did you purposely make into a collaboration effort where both of you are just trying to help each other in some way like what was the thought thinking process behind that yeah i mean the whole the whole strategy or the pitch to a lot of these companies or people behind the companies more so like if i think about the vayner medias and things like that was that or lego or linkedin was that you know a we have something to offer here. We're talking about mental fitness and the health of, of you and your team and whatnot. So we're going to have some content on that. Um, that content's going to live in our platform, which at the time had millions of app impressions and, you know, not millions of users, but still significant people coming through. So we're, we're going to put you, everything's going to link out from that podcast. Or if we did, you know, the other thing we did was, um, partnerships with companies or again people brands specifically on topics like you know one of them one of the early ones was with uh with an awesome photographer um, who has a pretty decent following and she just provided prompts to help people if they were going to travel to someplace unique how they could experience that place from a different perspective like what visually inspired you today you know and just pushing people outside of the regular experience when it came to travel but then everything linked out to her work as well so it was always circular and we were never we weren't maybe that's part of the reason the financially failed we were never charging people to come on the platform for like for that because we didn't feel like we were at this place where it was this massive um like millions of people every day coming in um but who knows maybe that maybe that was a, a bad move but it what it did allow for was more and more of these people to come on board because like there wasn't much downside and then as the as the ball started to roll you get one person you get one brand and then you're able to leverage those names and it just keeps going right um and it's still how i it's still how i book guests for the current show for behind the human like it it's only been significant but it's only been about 150 interviews 155 interviews now i think in the last two years 40 of those were written up so you don't you won't see those on the podcast but um even with that small number in in the grand scheme of things for the most part if there's someone that i hear being interviewed on even tim ferris's podcast or, or some of the bigger shows usually i can message them on one of the social platforms pick the one where there's the least amount of noise for them and I can Instagram's great for this in the sense of seeing who are, who they're following, seeing where the mutual connections are. And usually I can name drop at least two or three either people or brands so that when I send a message, it's not it's not Mark Champagne or behind the human trying to sell them to come on the show and talk about it. It's their friends have already been on it. So it's an instant credibility boost. Um I can't even remember your question, to be honest, anymore. <laughs> I went on a massive tangent there. No, that's all right. But it 
it's fun. It's you see the the beauty. I'm sure you realize too. The beauty of these conversations is that I find there's a lot of gems in the tangents. When you're telling me about how you get more and more people on, uh, more and more interesting and fascinating people on your podcast with you know the mutual connections, etc. It it's definitely something I've been utilizing um, as I get as I constantly try to get more and more interesting people on mine as well. And it's nice to know that my strategy is something that you utilize as well. And for someone who's done practically double the amount of podcast interviews that I have, it's good to know <laughs> that I'm somewhat following a method that seems to be working. So that's, yeah. that's been very helpful. I know it, it works. <laughs> I mean, I'll, and I encourage people too. There, uh, Jordan Harbinger, who is a huge podcaster as well. And that's a, like his full-time gig. Um, he has a free networking course which is really all on this um and ironically i mean i signed up for it just to see what it was all about um, but ironically i got him on the show with that very strategy it was the same thing like he was being interviewed by cal fussman at one point and i was listening to that that i was able to reach out and name drop cal fussman who had just interviewed him so like immediately right i think there's a timing thing there too right um and this this happened with Chase Jarvis as well, but it was years of sharing. Um, in that case, his content. Um, but like, there's a timing thing. Like, so if you if it's not just a matter of reaching out to to anyone. Like, there's there's a certain authenticity there. Like, I on, in that case, in the Jordan Harbinger case, I listened. Like, I heard the interview. I could I could feel that for me, I would want to go a little deeper in a certain area, which doesn't match Cal Fussman's show. And so there was like a true want there. And, and then it was fresh. He had just did it. I emailed him like his emails out there. It's not, it's not hidden. It's on his website. I put in the right people because of the past interviews. And actually in that case, I'm pretty sure he, he replied and said, yeah, uh, happy to visit that, but it'll have to be in like eight months or something like that. So I just set a reminder and then eventually came back and, and he came on the show. It was, it was a great chat. Um, but it's it's just I think the the key there is again that it's an authentic message. It wasn't just to get him on the show because he's a huge podcast name. Like it was, it came from a, a real place. Um, and then you have to act and actually do something and, and reach out because like what's the like the worst that can happen is either they say no or there's no reply. Um, and even in that case, that to me, it's a bit of a temporary, you just try again or, or try a different channel. If it's not email, it's social. Um, there's so many different ways. Like that's the beauty of, of this, this like hyper-connected world that we're in now. There's a ton of drawbacks, but there's a lot of positives. Like I never in a million years would I imagine having conversations with a lot of these people. And again, this is where, this is why I'm as hard as it was to shut down that app. And as much as I, you know, personally wanted to keep it going like that journey has brought me to where I'm at and I I feel very connected to the work that I'm doing even though it's still very unclear but it feels right the podcast feels right the book feels right working with human-centered brands feels right and there's a there's a certain trust in that path and a lot of that trust has come out from a lot of journaling which all came from powerful questions from the podcast so you know it's just one big circular setup that without that experience uh, I have no idea where I'd be at not here that's for sure <laughs> I have a lot of questions but and so I'm just gonna name off about 
two to three, and then let's we can just as a reminder for myself, just say it out loud, and then I'd love to vi- revisit it after each one. But the three things that come to my mind, like the the one thing, it uh, one thing is the community aspect, like the idea of being active in creating not just your own community, but actually giving back to some form of community. Like you've built a community with Keo, and it just seems like the way I'm thinking about it too is with podcasting is it's all like in one, in one way it's like a network, but in also another way, you're just contributing to a community. You're building your own community of people like your own tribe. And I definitely love to hear about how you think about that. And then the second thought I had was just getting comfortable with like, no, or getting comfortable and, not knowing with absolute certainty, but with a certain amount of certainty that what you're doing is the right thing. Because that's something that's been a long journey for me. And so we can get to that one a little yeah, later, yeah. but I just want to say it out loud just so we both kind of have it in the back of our minds. So I want to sure. first focus on the community part. Like, How do you think about that? Like, I, I love the part where you talked about it is you got to be authentic when you reach out to people. Like, I don't reach out to people to come on the podcast unless I'm actually excited to talk to them, Like, regardless of whether they're a big name or not. It's just... You, you want to do it for the conversation to actually get to know the person to learn. But even when you're yeah. getting back to the community, like how, how do you think about that? How do you, how has that evolved from what you first thought and like how do you think about it now? Well, and I just want to be, I, I want to be authentic too. Like it, I'm, I'm human. I've done it before where um, someone came up, maybe it's through social media or something or popped up on my radar and I'm like, oh, they're doing some pretty cool thing, things. They've got a huge social following um let me try to get them on the show type thing and it's happened a couple times where where they've accepted we've had the interview and it's just not i don't want to say it's not a good interview like it's i think because i've never a i've never put anything out that i wasn't proud to share but i know in my you know core that it could have been a hell of a lot better if it was someone that like i was truly passionate about reaching out and I reached out for the right reasons. So, you know, it's, it's happened a couple times and, and I, and I sometimes catch myself fault going into that, into that cycle seeing, Oh, wow. And you, you look at the numbers, right. And things like that. And I'm like, no, like I've been down that path. It may seem attractive from the beginning uh, or the onset, but it, it doesn't lead to um, a, an authentic conversation and B to answer your question. It doesn't lead to providing your audience with, um, what they have signed up for. I mean, people are listening to the show because they've given us the attention and like, that's, that's not something to play around with. In my opinion, it's, it's something new. there's hundreds of thousands of podcasts out there. They can be listening to, to really anything or doing anything else, but listening to this show. So for me, that's always in the back of my mind if something like that ever comes up, but I want to be transparent too. Like it, it happens. I'm, I'm a human being. So I think again, it just, it, it boils back down to figuring out for you um, or for me, at least it's, you know, for 2020, like what am I working on? I mean, there's definitely going to be more authors on the show because I'm working on this book or or even if they're not authors, uh, there's a few more questions maybe related to that. Um, and that's, that's, that's very much like a Tim Ferriss approach. Like most of the people he's interviewing or the questions he's answering are in relation to things he's trying to f- figure out, um, which also is a result of a lot of his books. Um, and that may on, on the 
on the surface seems selfish, but again, it is sure it is in one capacity because you're trying to learn, but it's not in the sense that you're actually asking the questions for a reason. And there's for sure other people out there that are probably wondering about the same thing. So I, I think it really boils down to that. It doesn't matter what platform you're using or where you're trying to build a community. Um, I've been a, a little bit more active on LinkedIn these days. I feel like since their upgrades or their changes the last couple of years, it's just easier to engage in a little bit more of an authentic way without having, having to buy ads and things like that. Um, and I follow, you know, I follow like a core group of people that I'm trying to learn from and I actually comment on their posts and whatnot. And that's led to a lot of different, um, really nice relationships or like reach outs coming this way. And again, just being true, but being true to myself, if someone reaches out to come on the podcast, which happens, um, more often than, than I would have thought to be, to be honest, I have to put a, a filter. Like, do I need another, um, do I need another like a motivational speaker or coach or something like that? Like, is that, I'm trying to think of a, what I'm trying to learn, but b what the audience has already heard, you know, and maybe the answer is no, or maybe it's, it's not right now, for example, cause now the, and it's like, it's a good problem to have, but like, as we speak, there's, I think five or six episodes already recorded waiting to go out and another six people booked. So, it, you know, there's, there's volume there. So it has to be the right people that are coming on uh, for me uh, in, in terms of the, the objective of behind the human. And that's just to provide a very diverse view of the different wellness practices and mental fitness practices that people are doing. Um, and it would get boring if I just had the same people or just had a yoga instructors on nonstop <laughs> type thing. Yeah. So, Yeah. No, that's um, your second question. No, that's a bit of a loaded, uh, a bigger one. <laughs> you know, when do you, when do you know, or how do you, how do you know when you're doing the right work or you're going down the right path? Something I think here's how I'd answer that because before starting Keo, I wasn't in a situation, I think I shared this on your show uh, in the first episode, but I wasn't in a situation where I was going into a job that I hated. So it was, it was from a different perspective or a different lens that I was leaving that job because I knew I'd have regret not trying this new idea. And I could always go back, even though I'm not going back because the, the journey itself has kind of evolved me to that's not where I want to be. So again, I'm grateful for that. But I think what's key is that to, to land in an area where you're doing work that you really feel like, you know, you should be doing this stuff, which I, I truly feel that now. And, and that's why I'm sharing this path. But I had to go through the last four years to do that. So you have to try things. And, and even, even while going through and, and like the certain channels that even the podcast stuff that I shared, like the, the brand strategy stuff, like I know that I'm working with the right people or in the right space when people just start showing up almost naturally. Introductions are being made um, without me asking or um, it happened yesterday. I was literally walking down the street um, 
to go get a haircut of all places. And, and there was a guy in the restaurant in the window waving that I've been waiting to see type thing, like things like that. I believe in that stuff, like things like that happen. And, and, you know, at, after the haircut, we had a great chat and caught up and like, there's other things now moving forward. So I think when people start showing up here, maybe here's the last, like when things start becoming a little bit more easy or seem like they're becoming fluid or you're in a flow state of some sort and people, people, opportunities and things are being presented in front of you. It's usually a good sign that you're going down the right path. If it's always just hard and you're always just hitting your head against the wall and it seems impossible, might not be doing the right thing. That's hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's it's like you said, where it's you, it's constantly. It seems like listening to your body and listening to your mind, listening to yourself. Yeah, and, seeing the signs. Yeah, and trying to be open to that. And yeah, it, it's it's something that, uh, like I'm I'm close to here hitting my own two year mark of taking on this journey, uh, which happened twenty eighteen of March, and. I, I now tell my friends when I catch up with them that not just now I'm feeling a little like I'm actually feeling pretty comfortable about what I'm doing. Like the doubt and stuff sometimes still creeps in. The imposter syndrome lately has been creeping in a little as I start like pitching my platform and part for partnerships to companies. Mm-hmm. But I've actually started actually feeling good about what I'm doing and not feeling as strained about not having a job or having like the stability of financial income. Like it's, it's weird. It's really weird like that. Like it's been difficult to explain to friends how going without income, like a steady flow of income for two years has made me really comfortable with not getting (laughs) a stable income, but it's, that's, that's just how it's, it's been. And it's been I think really... it changes your perspective, right? On yeah. on on income and money. And uh, someone asked me that question. It's the same thing. Um, as before before this whole journey, like things were pretty good. Like I was hitting some good financial goals, and from from a materialistic standpoint, felt pretty good. Um, and the last few years have been really tough from that perspective. But it, the reason I I'm bringing this up because I feel like you're in the same place. Like you put a there's a bit of a different label or a different uh, appreciation I should say to what you do have like you're sitting in a a soundproof booth with a microphone that is not accessible to most of the people in the world and it's not like you're using crazy studio grade like recording artist stuff and I'm on the same mic as you and like with great headphones like my point being is we always want more. We always, you know, want the best stuff. But there's so many people out there that just don't have access to any of these things, right? So when it comes to to the craft, it's like be super grateful for for what we have and that we can even have these conversations and that the power didn't go out while we're having this this podcast chat or the internet's actually strong. Like that's not the majority of the world. No, yeah, one hundred percent. And and kind of chiming off of that, it's. It's kind of changed. It's definitely changed my mindset around the fact that, like, you know, you and I, we, talk, this, the environment you just talked about, like, there is that privilege that we have, um, for being in this kind of world. Like, for me, having a family immigrate here and giving me these opportunities, and it's, 
it's it's like you I have this opportunity, so why wouldn't I try to make the best of it and try to do something different and do more so I can help like more people who might be in similar issues, might not be in similar issues, but it kind of changes how I start looking at things with what I have. And yeah, it's been it's been a very comforting thing to realize but at the same time it's it's just just been like a very surreal experience i'm not very good at putting it to words but it's been good (laughs) to to sum it up yeah i mean it's good it's hard it's um it's it's just the journey it's where the magic is yeah I, i i think it's all i think it's really that like and it's easier said than done but as soon as you can shift into the value is actually, and it sounds cliche, but the value is actually this conversation and then the next and then the process of figuring out the best way to record it, all of that. It's not hitting the top 100 Apple podcast list. I mean, that's awesome. That's a great, yes, like I, I feel, thank you for that. But that's going to happen. That's going to come. That's going to go. What's not going to come and go is everything that you've learned and everything we're experiencing from having an actual conversation when it comes to the podcast world. And you can, you can, you can link that to everything. Like I kind of mentioned that with the book idea, right? Like I, I will come, I've already come, even if I stop the process now, I'm already, I've already learned so much just trying to figure out how to even start writing a book and how to organize that and like what what does it entail that will that's it's already helping in other areas of my life so and i'm just the beginning so you know it's not it's 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 not the 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 massive financial goals or the the bestseller list and stuff it really is that process and you hear this over and over again and i i used to hear it all the time too and be like yeah yeah it sounds really cool but you don't until you're in it and actually you yourself mentally like flip that switch, it's hard to relate, right? Oh, yeah, because 100%. you hear people all the time. Yeah. It, it's like the it's difference. Not new. <laughs> yeah. It's like the difference between the, you understand the rational argument behind something, but you just don't actually tangibly get it, I think, until you yeah. do something. It's, it's like I read all the mistakes you should have made with from like books and then i'll still make the same mistakes and i'll go oh now i read now i get it that's what they were talking about got it yeah it's just i'm a little more prepared in handling it maybe like after i've made the mistake since i've read the books exactly yeah and speaking of books i can't believe i haven't asked you this yet is how do you decide to start writing a book that's that's an entirely different journey on its own and the few authors i've interviewed got to interview on my podcast you know the I think the what's that? The crowded wisdom is that it's not an easy process. There's no glory behind it, and it's just so so difficult. And so, what was the process like to kind of arrive at that decision that you said, you know what, I'm gonna write a book? <laughs> no, that's a good question. It, it, I, I kind of fought it for a while, to be honest, um, because what was happening, pe- pe- as as things were. Well, actually, Kia was still running, and it it started to get to the point where people were like, "Oh, I should really write a, a you know a book about just like a, the different perspective on on what mental fitness is, and specifically when it comes to journaling and and just showing how 
people can integrate this into their lives. So it kept coming up, kept coming up. And there's definitely no uh, time to even consider that while working specifically on Keo. Then when we shut it down, again, came up a few more times like, wow, like you have all these questions. And I mean, every, every podcast interview I do, I'm at least coming out with three journaling prompts from the guests. So, you know, there's hundreds at this point that are basically cataloged and they're starting to become theme based, you know, for designers or writers or executives. And it's starting to get interesting and there's themes developing and whatnot. So it just, I I guess to answer your question, I almost couldn't not write the book Mm. or start the process because it kept coming up. Like I said before, I'm, I'm big into following the signs. Um, the, the idea of learning how to do it was really intriguing. I mean, it was, it's always, you've interviewed authors. It's always fun to, you know, pick apart like the process and, you know, why they're writing it or how they wrote it and things like that. What, what were the routines and whatnot? So yeah, just, it just from, from an intuitive stance, it just felt right to do it. And I also think from a timing perspective, it's at a point in, in at least our society or history that I feel like a lot of people can use this and it's not, I'm not setting it up as another templated journal. Um, I'm not even sure if I'm going to use the word journal on the, on the book title. It might just be um, related to reflection um, because that's all it is. And I'm just trying to demystify again, what journaling is, right? Like, you have a, a definition of it. I have a definition of it, but it's it's really at the end of the day, people asking themselves questions and thinking, whether that's pen to paper or an app, audio, video, walking, you know, it doesn't matter. It's the act of reflection. So yeah, I feel a bit compelled to just get it out there and, and see what happens and see where that takes uh, the journey next. It's been fun, um, a bit in a bit scary um to try to figure out you know how how to do this or at least to your point like have enough knowledge to try to mitigate some of the risks or not make all the same mistakes that that others have made but still use a bit of a unique flair on even how you know we launched an app for example and, and leveraged the podcast things like that so yeah it just came out purely out of hearing it over and over again and feeling that it was a good time to just dive into it wow and are you are you self-publishing it yourself yeah so here's like this is a great use case so i don't know yet i'm leaning towards self-publishing um but this is the thing that's exciting like the 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 research i'm doing is all around that and trying to find the different perspectives from people that have self-published to people that went down the big publishing route and it all comes back to questions like they're all, they're all leaving questions. Like, do you, a lot of people, a publisher is like purely, and it's not a bad thing, but it's like a, it's a goal. They want, you know, like Penguin Random House or Harper Collins, uh, like on their book. And that's like, uh, like a life dream of some sort. So is that for me? Not, not necessarily. Um, or it's, is it, you know, are you doing it to get the work out and you want to help, um, spin up a speaking career? You know, there's, there's, there's 
pros and cons to self-publishing versus a big publisher? I mean, first of all, you know, to get your book accepted by a big publisher is a, is a task on itself. Um, the reason why I'm thinking of leaning away from it is that time-wise too, it's, it's going to take a hell of a lot more time to get it done. Um, you still have to do all your own marketing for the most part. You do have access to distribution and editors and things like that, obviously. Um, so there's, it's like anything in life, there's, there's pros and cons, but I'm in the current stage of, um, cleaning up an outline and starting to fill out those chapter headings, starting to review past podcasts, interviews, and pulling out the nuggets that I want to kind of profile in the book and order, ordering books on Kindle and Amazon, stuff like that to see whether I should self-publish or not, you know? <laughs> I mean, the last, right before we got on the line, I was interviewing uh, JT McCormick, who is the CEO of Scribe Media, which is a self-publishing service, actually. It's like Tucker Max's company. It's, oh. it's one of, it used to be Book in the Box. So, you know, I was asking him questions about these type of things. They, they published David Goggin's book, for example. Wow. Um, so, yeah, so I'm doing the research, essentially. <laughs> we'll see. That sounds exciting. But I am gonna. It, it's gonna be out. That I'm committing to. Awesome. All right. I'll look forward to that. And maybe if I ever decide to write a book, I'll I'll get the wisdom out of you. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Happy to share. Well, Mark, uh, I know we're kind of at the end of our time runway, but this was so much fun. And yeah, I really thanks. appreciate you coming on the podcast and sharing the new development of your fascinating journey with myself and my audience. Um, at least on a personal note, it's been super enjoyable and enlightening in one way to hear the development that you've gone through and it's definitely got me thinking more about my own journey um and it's also made me a little more thoughtful about it too so i appreciate it yeah right back at you i mean it's it's fun to watch it's it's fun that this is around too and that uh, again statistically speaking most people don't have around two because their podcast is deleted so you know, be uh, grateful and I think appreciative of that. And I am too, to, to have this honor and yeah, just keep asking yourself some powerful questions because the better the questions, the better the outcomes. And I know you're, you're pretty big on reflection. So keep <laughs> rocking. All right. Appreciate it, my friend. All the best. All right. Take care. All right. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I hope the story was inspiring to you. It, hopefully it also helped you expand your perspectives. Hopefully it also made you question the default path that you might have been going on or the default beliefs you might have had. And maybe now it'll make you even think about doing something about it, doing something different maybe, challenging yourself, being courageous. Who knows? But regardless, I'm really happy that you took some time out of your day to listen to this fantastic story with my guest. And if you would like to somehow, in some way, contribute and help support the podcast and maybe even just be part of the community that I'm trying to build with the greater OMD Ventures platform, really think about being a stakeholder in the platform. And the quick way to do that is to go to my website, oldmandan.com, and go to the stakeholders page. I believe it's oldmandan.com slash stakeholder. And the link is also down below. And... That's how you can figure out how you can subscribe, follow to get more updates on the free content, but at the same time, also donate and donate by actually just buying me a coffee. That's just how I put it. And you can buy me a coffee a month, coffee a week, 
or coffee every day of the year. And think about it as the way that, you know, if you wanted to chat with me, you might just bring me out for coffee and buy me a coffee. Or if you wanted to bring one of my guests out to chat, you might buy them a coffee. So I'm just think of it as I'm the service that's doing that for you. So you can just pay me in coffees. <laughs> Don't worry. Uh, everything will still be free. It's just, it would just really help if you would like to show your support this way so that I can use the coffee money to buy myself actual coffees and also to buy my guests actual coffees at, and use the leftover money to actually grow the platform as well as even keep it operationally alive as well because it all this is, isn't really free and it does take a lot of time to build it as well as operate it and hopefully grow it further. So your support would be amazing if you would like to contribute. And so, yeah, just check out the website, go to the stakeholders page and read the different kind of benefits you might even get as a stakeholder. All right. Thank you.